Hello and welcome to another episode of Father and Joe. I am Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, going off of another communication that we've gotten from uh, some of our listeners, uh, a theme has kind of developed uh, across a couple of individuals here that has come across. And I think in some regards, we might be a, a an example of this in, in two different ways. And what the... What the general theme is, is that people acknowledge that intellectually I can figure out the concept of God. Like I, I understand God from a thought process manifesting state, um, you know, but what they also say is I don't have the feeling element of it where if the one of them articulated, I, I don't feel G- Jesus in my heart but I intellectually understand the reason and and everything that he did. So I feel that this is, since it's something that has been the most common theme in our communications coming across to us, I think it's something that um, we should spend some time upon it because I know that I go out of my way to talk about the practical elements of how the faith can come from it. And that's a very mindset part of it. And relationships are obviously from the heart and you spend a lot of the time um, discussing that. So I think in some ways we're a very good balance to this, this topic that's coming upon us. And that's the general, again, taking it from multiple people sending us messages about this. So there's no one specific angle, but that's the general jolt of the questioning that, that we've been getting is I can think of God. I can understand God from the way that he's being taught to us from the faith, but I don't feel God. So with that being said, hopefully that makes sense and I'll let you address that. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate that kind of honesty. And I think that's really important for us to uh, acknowledge where we are in our faith or what our experience of the faith is. And um, something I've been reflecting on a lot and I'm probably going to write a thesis on (laughs) is, uh, these, these different dimensions that are that are necessary for growth and discipleship. Um, there is the dimension of knowledge, and we have to grow in our knowledge of God. That tends to be the primary focus of our catechetical programs, which I think is problematic. It's not sufficient in itself. It's necessary, but it's not sufficient. Um, obviously, we also have to bring that knowledge into our life in some way. We need to develop habits and uh, ways of, of living out that knowledge morally and in prayer, you know, in our relationships also in the way that we, that we share the faith. Um, but, but the dimension of experience is also important. And that's, uh, anyway, we've, we've gone back and forth over the centuries about uh, too much experience, too little experience. And um, because it's, our faith is also more than experience, of course. Uh, it's really all three of those things. We need to grow in knowledge. We need to grow in habits, but we also need to have experiences. We can't sort of force ourselves to have experiences. Uh, experiences are things that happen to us, we could say. Uh, feeling Jesus in my heart is not something I can sort of stir up because it's a, one of the ways we recognize God is free. God is not merely an extension of my own consciousness, or he's not merely an expression of my psychology. God is free. And so I can't force myself to experience him or I can't force him 
to uh, to love me in a way that I can feel it. So uh, we're experiencing God's freedom in that. Uh, but we can set ourselves up for experiences. We can take the opportunity to have uh, special moments in our prayer. And in a certain sense, it's what the sacraments are doing in the church. They're particularly intense and condensed times of faith in a a certain way, the entire faith is encapsulated in the mass. So, you know, a half hour daily mass has the entire faith in it. And so it's condensed down into a half an hour. Now, not to say that every mass is personally an experience, but ecclesially, it's a kind of uh, church. The church is having an experience. And many people have had experiences at mass as we have that moment of recognition we know intellectually that's really Jesus in the Eucharist, but there's that moment at Mass when I suddenly think, and I know, and I know that I know, that's really Jesus. Wow, oh my goodness, I knew that, but I experienced it today. Uh, or some particular moment in the Mass, one of the prayers or one of the words from the readings or just a moment of silence is the the altar is being prepared or something like that. We have a, an intense experience, a condensed moment of encounter. And those are important to hold on to. Now, a lot of times I find uh, when people say, oh, I, I don't feel Jesus in my heart. Uh, well, have you ever felt him in your heart? Have you ever had an experience of God? A lot of people, uh, most people I'd say, will come up with something. Well, yeah, there was this time when, and then they begin to tell me. Or I say, well, tell me what your prayer is like. And then they begin to describe prayer. And it's actually, you know, quite rich and, and involved. And there's quite a, quite a bit going on there. So um, sometimes we, we have this sort of uh, idea um, that we have this impression that not, nothing's happening. And in fact, quite a bit is happening, even if we are, are questioned about our own experience. But I just want to bring our attention to the importance of those experiences. As I said, mass, the sacraments in general are a way that we do that. A lot of people have had that kind of experience going to confession, even if uh, somebody's not a, you know, sort of coming after a long time or having one of these sort of big confessions, quote unquote, um, just a, a regular confession experience maybe has been a way for uh, a little while or just maybe is confessing something and particularly present. And it's a real experience of of peace, of, uh, of feeling loved, uh, an experience of really letting go of some things, feeling cleansed. Um, there's a kind of intensity going into it. Maybe a word is spoken there in confession that really sticks. So these are not nothing. These are important moments in our, in our journey of faith. And it's important for us to pay attention to those moments and to hold on to them and understand what God is doing through those things. That's, that's really part of our experience of God. And uh, part of feeling feeling loved. Uh, other examples are taking time for Eucharistic adoration, for example. The the uh, the Mass is sometimes a lot of stuff, and we're kind of moving through it, and we don't have as much time for prayer. But when we take an hour there, and sometimes it only you know it takes a half an hour before we're really focused in, or sometimes it's the last five minutes of when we're there. In fact, often it's the last five minutes of when we're there that we're we're suddenly aware of the presence of God and and maybe even all the things that God has done during the past 55 minutes that we weren't aware of as they were happening. And we suddenly realize, wow, he's really been 
doing something in my heart. He's really been with me this whole time. And that starts to give us more and more confidence about the the ongoing presence of God, this ongoing sense of uh, a loving awareness of his presence. But, but that's something that develops over time, and it develops through experiences, it develops through periods of dryness, it develops through perseverance, and, and there's, you know, there's some virtue there of uh, uh, practicing and perfecting our, our sense of, of awareness, the, the virtue of faith, in, in some ways we could say. So um, paying attention to those experiences, but setting ourselves up for them. You know, retreats are, are another example. Praying together with somebody is another example. Uh, just various ways that we're vulnerable that we vulnerably open our hearts and come before God, that we take a little risk in expressing our hearts and maybe looking a little bit silly and being afraid of what people might think of me. Uh, when we pray with another person, when we try to vocalize our prayers and we feel sort of awkward and uh, all of that can be really open us to experiences of his love. It has a way of opening the heart. So, so those are a lot of different suggestions about how we can put ourselves in a place to have an experience of God. Our idea of what that experience ought to be like may be a little different than what the experience is actually like. So sometimes we need to get rid of our preconceptions uh, our, and our misconceptions about what it's supposed to be like. And we have to let it be what it actually is like. So that's also a little barrier that can get in the way. And um, then we need to take hold of those experiences. A lot of times it's very intense and then we move on from it and we forget about it. And then we say, oh, you know, God isn't there on demand. I, when I want him to be there and when I want to experience something, I don't experience something. Well, um, that's because he's free and it's a relationship. It's not, it's a, it's not a vending machine. We're not uh, using God to get some feelings whenever we want them. That's not a relationship. That's a uh, that's, that's some kind of slavery that we would be in, in uh, putting on God. So um, anyway, some, some thoughts about the, the role of feelings and experience and encounter and awareness and in our hearts in the context of prayer. So, yeah, as you mentioned there, uh, there's a couple of key takeaways I'm taking there. So I can recap you. You can tell me if I'm online. The first being that we have to put ourselves in a situation where we're going to have experiences with God and in the church, the best way to do that is the sacraments. So to put yourself in another realistic thought, if you want to go on a roller coaster, going to a amusement park is a good place to start. Um, so therefore going to church and celebrating the sacraments is, is the starting point. The next point is our expectations and having them in line. And to me, this is a thought process. You can tell me this is a totally wrong and weird tangent. But in my life, I have um, uh, my niece and nephews. All of them are in high school now. Um, and knowing them for a while. Um, I kind of describe it to you. You're about to go through a stage of your life, being puberty, that you don't know what it's going to be like. But it's like when you learn how to walk. Some kids just kind of walk nice and easy, but most of them run head first into a table, then laugh and think it's funny and then just go do it again. Um, and that's part of life. And I think that this spiritual growing with Christ is the same thing. None of us know really how it will look like when we are done. 
you know, each of us taking the walking example, each of us have a different stride. We walk differently. Um, sometimes cause we're different heights. Sometimes it's different body types, whatever, but each of us have our own unique walk. But yeah, at the end of the day, we all pretty much go the same distance. Just how we do it is slightly different. And if we would look at, you know, someone say, why don't I have the exact same stride as this person? It's not how we look at life. It just goes, oh, I can get from this side of the room to the other side of the room by using my two feet. But we never go, it has to be exactly like that. But for some reason, in our faith context, we feel that we have to look exactly like someone else to have that same experience. And I think it's a flawed starting premise. So when talking about what our expectations are and should be, I think that that's a big part of it that we all have coming into it and not even realizing that we have it. Like when you say that out loud, like we don't have the same stride, everyone listening is like, well, obviously. But when we think about, well, why don't I have the same apparent level of devotion or an apparent level of God in my life as the lady who's seven pews across from me, um, that's, that's different. And then I think the other part of this is, and this is probably a continuation of it is, as you said about the on-demand, our whole culture is built for on-demand. I mean, people don't even pay money for TV commercials anymore because no one watches them and they te- and they just fast-forward through them. So that's not how relationships work, though. You know, it, it, and the fact that the phones, we can transmit information immediately via text or something doesn't really help it. In, in some regards, I think it's more you know, like bread, you know, you, it sits there. It looks like it's doing nothing. And then you leave, go, you know, do something, come back a day later and boom, got a loaf of bread sitting there because all of this yeast was doing all kinds of crazy chemical stuff, which is really fascinating on a chemical level, but you never see it. So you don't think it's doing anything. But you, when you come home, I went from having just a plop of dough to now actually having bread. And obviously there's, Steps in between. I'm not a baker, so I'm not trying to diminish any of that. Just trying to articulate that one core concept. And that seems to be much more than a stumbling block. But I feel like that could be a mountain that people don't know how to to cross. Yeah, I, I appreciate your uh, analogy there with walking, you know, the we all have different strides. There's a commonality. You're going to move one leg and then you're going to move the other leg. And similar to prayer, you know, there is a commonality, but then there's going to be a unique quality to that. I like to use the example of, or the analogy of relationships. I mean, that's really what prayer is, is a relationship with God. And every relationship is, uh, is a little different. Our, our relationship with everybody else, each, each other person is a little different from, from another relationship that we have. And, and God's relationship with each one of us is a little different than his relationship with each other one of us. And so uh, allowing the uniqueness to be there and to grow in that uniqueness. And, and part of that growth and uniqueness is from the story that we share with God, what those experiences are, uh, the, the sequence of our experiences with God, the little moments that we have encountered him. The, the times that he's broken through in our lives. And, you know, sometimes that's in a, a particular uh, crisis, a particular time of need. We cry out to him and he provides for us. And, 
And then we feel loved. We feel that peace in our hearts. We feel lifted up with joy. We're moved to tears at what God has done for us. A lot of different signs of his presence that we can become more aware of and more tuned into. And then we start to attach some uh, some meaning to that. We have a sense of uh, some word that might go with that and uh, and maybe an expression, an image of uh, the face of God that goes with that. But but all of that grows over time, like any relationship. And as we stay in relationship with him, and it's certainly legitimate to ask him, you know, uh, I want to I want to know you more. I want more of you. Uh, there's a, there are a lot of beautiful, a lot of beautiful praise songs, Christian worship songs. Lord, I need you. Oh, how I need you. You know, I mean, crying out, praying that way, being vulnerable that way. These are these are all ways that we let down our defenses and we make ourselves available. A lot of times we approach relationships. We want to invest nothing. We want to get everything. And that's not how relationships work. Um, no, no, uh, no pain, no gain, right? No guts, no glory, you know, no cross, no crown. If we, you invest nothing, you get nothing. And uh, we have to be willing to, to take a risk and open our hearts and invest something. And it's another, you know, thing that, that people will do sometimes is they don't really commit. It's sort of like, uh, and that's, that's what we see in the scriptures. Uh, in our last episode, we were talking about, you know, apparent contradictions and, uh, we could have said that in terms of Jesus talking about signs as well. In one place, he gives signs. The, uh, the, the Gospel of John is known as the Book of Signs. There are seven significant signs culminating in the sign of the resurrection. And uh, at the same time, he says to the Pharisees, it's a wicked and evil generation that asks for a sign. So like, what is it? Well, when the sign is empty, when we're trying to ask God to prove himself, and when we're not willing to invest anything, that's what the Pharisees are doing, uh, then, then you, you get out what you put in. And, and we're, we're not going to get any, actually, you get out a lot more than you put in, but you got to put something in. If you don't ante up, you don't get the jackpot. It's, uh, that's just how it goes. So um, that's the kind of sign that the Pharisees are asking for. Uh, prove yourself. But the signs that Jesus gives are when we are really vulnerable, those, anybody that comes up to him and asks him for a healing, he heals them. Anybody that asks for deliverance, he delivers them. He, when they take a risk to come to him, he responds to their need. And uh, that's, that's a simple way that he's calling each one of us to, to bring our needs to him, to take a risk of reaching out to him, crying out to him, asking for his help, really leaning on him trusting in him. And then, then that opens the door for, for more of the experiences of his presence, his love. And as we do this recording, sometimes things just come to mind, and I'm not sure if it's completely applicable. But as we talked about in our last episode, putting yourself in a situation of the people who were there and, and, and our own thought process of the day reading it, it seems that the people who were following Jesus as he was alive during his teachings were mostly there because they wanted to see something that was godly. They wanted to see a miracle in one capacity or another. Um, you know, that they followed Jesus around this whole lake because they just wanted to keep feeding him awesome fish. Um, and they just want to feed him. But the part that dwells and continues on is his teaching not the 
miracles. Um, as far as what, when we're sitting here dwelling, we're not that we're discounting any of his miracles or anything like that, but we talk about his teachings and what he calls us to do. And that has a longer lasting effect, but it's not the shiny moment that got us in the door. Um, and I think that that's part of the, uh, part, part of it is that if we're only looking for the big shiny part, we're going to miss the, the, the important, the importance of it and the important essence of it. And I think that that's a, I come up with about a bajillion examples that just came in my mind at once. But I think that each of us can kind of think of an example of that in our own lives where it's the importance is the small, quiet moments, not necessarily the big thing that got everyone's attention. Like, Oh, what's going on over there? Well, I, um, I just would I just would nuance that a little bit. Uh, going back to what I said initially, uh, all, all three of those are important: knowledge and habits and experiences. Experiences are important, and and those uh, those big moments made a big difference. I mean, some people's uh, journey of belief began with a miracle, and so I wouldn't downplay that. But uh, moments have to be, you know, the the next step of risk. So the first step of risk was coming to Jesus and asking him for a miracle. The next step of risk, and this is your point, is now you got to try to follow him, try to live it out. And that's taking a risk. It's acting in trust. Like, okay, this guy uh, really has something significant going on, and I experienced that. I'm going to try and live this out now. I'm going to try and follow him. And then along the way, we're going to have a need for him again, and there's going to be another experience. We, you know, experiences create milestones in our journey. And uh, again, think of the relationships, you know, you have uh, you have a fall in love experience with your with your girlfriend and then you take a risk of entering into relationship and you have those daily phone calls that start to become a drag after a while. Like, oh, we have to call each other again. I got other stuff going on, you know, um, but that's taking a risk of like I'm going to invest some more time. And then and then there's another date and there's another experience and it breaks through another level and we go to a deeper intimacy and you know, so it's a it's a give and take in that when we want to just run from experience to experience, then then we're just trying to you know live on spiritual candy. If we're trying to just do it without any experiences, you know, then then we may be just white knuckling it and kind of staying in control. There's something that's kind of out of control about experience. That's um, a dimension of giving the other one room for freedom. The other one is a free person, and when we act in trust, when we take a risk, we can be rejected. And, and when we're not rejected and we're received, then we know it's a free response. And that's what's really exciting. So the experiences have a way of validating the freedom of God and his free choice to be with us. So again, uh, I wouldn't make it a better or worse thing, but it's a both together thing. It, it ha there has to be a, a complementarity and a balance of, uh, of the knowledge and the habits and the experiences. Yeah, so as you mentioned there, I think that that's the the culmination um, of the answer. There is you have to be open to risk, and to generalize, people who I've seen who are incredibly high minded like that, um, even if they're at a roulette table, they they don't feel the risk of the ball rolling around and seeing what's going to be. They just go mathematically, all right, one out of thirty six chance, blah blah blah. It's like. But to, to open up and, and to be a part of it in that, especially when obviously we're let's a game, but when you're dealing with another person, you don't know how they're going to react and you don't know what they're going to do. Um, to be open to that is 
is there and to, to pigeonhole them and they're like because they did this before they'll do this again uh, well maybe and maybe even probably but there's always a possibility to do something wildly different from what you expected and to be open to the risk that that you could be wrong and that you shouldn't be in control this, this isn't this isn't just a one person, as you said before, forcing the other to do something else. So, um, so that being said, Father, I, I greatly thank you for for touching base on this. Like I said, we got communicated that from a multitude of different people. And again, if anyone else has any questions or anything you'd like to have us reach out to us, you can do so at Father and Joe on Twitter, or you can email us Father and Joe at Gmail, and. Thank you guys all for being a part of it and continuing to help tell each other about the episodes and the uh, and the cast in general as we keep growing more and more each month. And I've been saying it now for about three years, but it's been true. With the exception of only two months, the previous month has been smaller than the, the following month, which means we're growing. So thank you all for being out there and we will continue to go.